Let's Be Nerds, episode number 45. I'm your host, Stephen Jay, and I'm with a wonderful panel of people, and we have a wonderful topic for you today. I'm joined by my good friends, Gordon Bryant, Tiffany Edwards, and Eric. Eric, how are you, my friend? We're doing good today. I uh, just got out of the recent Thor movie, so I'm super pumped about that. We're going to hold that for a different episode, though. I'm jealous. I forgot that came out today. It was That's, awesome. Uh, okay. We definitely need to probably do a recap in a little bit whenever it, more people have seen it. I need to I need to make that happen on probably Sunday. Yeah, wake up, people. It's been out for at least 24 hours. Get there. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yep. It, it came out at least in our theater at 12 o'clock. It's been less than 10 hours. <laughs> God. Get to, take the let out, you know? Miss Tiffany, you have not been on the podcast in quite a while. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? It's so nice to hear all your voices again. You too. It's so glad to have you back. Things have been good. Yeah, um, things have been great. I was going to say, you are uh, popping off on the Instagram reels and the TikToks, and you're doing some pretty cool fit over there, I must say. Thank you. Thank you. Um, My good friend, Gordon. I know I saw you less than five hours ago, but how are you, my friend? I'm good. I am also just out of the recent Thor movie. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for everyone else to see it so we can talk about it on our show. So I, I'm going to assume by both of your reactions, positive, go, must see, like, okay, I'm excited. Because I was a little, I don't know, I, the trailer hyped me up. But I was a little bit like, I don't know, is it going to be worth it? Do you wait for Disney Plus? You know, it's it's a debate nowadays. It's definitely a, worth an in theater watch. It the first half is cameo galore and kind of like ruins the mood, but the second half really takes hits it home, nails it. Excellent. So for those of you listening, that's a a review without a full spoiler review. So get your tickets, folks. So, folks, we are uh, gathered here today to talk about, and I'm going to kind of admit that this idea came from me watching uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Obviously, we're not going to be talking in-universe about that, but it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, this would be a pretty cool topic for us to cover, so we're going to go outside of that universe, and we're going to talk about things creatures, beasts, from mythology, from culture, and really dive into what makes them unique and what made them stand out to us. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what everybody picks because it's a, we've broadened the subject and we've broadened what you can bring in. And uh, I'm excited to hear what everyone else has. Uh, I'm going to kick us off. I do want to talk about a fantastic beast that uh 
does not come from that universe, but is something that has always captivated my attention. And I want, I'm curious to see if you guys have been as exposed to this uh, mythology creature and how you first heard about it. So with that being said, I want to talk about the Phoenix. This comes from a long history, specifically, uh, I know it mostly as a Greek creature from Greek mythology, but it is also present in Egyptian mythology. So it's a mythical bird that basically is the symbol of renewal, rebirth, what's the word that's escaping me uh living infinitely i don't think that's the right way to say that so essentially it a phoenix there can only ever be one and it lives for 500 years and just before its time on earth in existence was up it would build a nest and it would set itself on fire and then the next phoenix that would live for the next 500 years would rise rise from the ashes. And to me, that was always such a powerful concept because it's not just about life and death. It's about growth and change as a person. It's about, you know, becoming another version of yourself and learning and changing and developing and you could even look at the the paths of development from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. It it really speaks to a lot of the things we experience on the like the journey of life, if you will. And I have to be honest about how I was exposed to it, and no one's gonna be shocked. It was the nineties X Men T V show and comic book run. No one's shocked. So, for those of you that are familiar, uh, the very popular character Jean Grey in the X-Men, originally named Marvel Girl, uh, has a storyline where she is inhabited by what they coined the Phoenix Force. It's an interstellar, intergalactic being that really leans heavily into the death side of the Phoenix's origins and essentially is one of the most powerful beings in the universe that inhabit Jean Grey. And for a while, she's all, you know, green and gold and cool and nice with it. And then she goes into the Dark Phoenix, red and gold, and she's just a nightmare. And it's perhaps the best run in the comic book series, in my opinion. Never really translated into the films. Um, Quite a flop era every time the Phoenix is in film. But... Overall, that's essentially I learned about the Phoenix in reverse. I learned about it first from the comic books, sparked my interest, and it really made me dive into the mythology of it. And it it made me take pause because the Phoenix in its actual origin is such a beautiful story and truly speaks to just the experience of life. So I'm curious if either any of you guys are familiar with the story of the Phoenix, how you heard about it, Please, somebody tell me you heard it through the X-Men, so I'm not the only one. I've heard. <laughs> I got mine from Harry Potter. Yeah, Order of the Phoenix. I am 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That was a that was a great movie. Damn. It's a good book. Better book. Better yes. than the movies because the movies do not do the book justice. But Most yeah. We do need to do a Harry Potter episode, but that's besides the point. But yes, I just find that story and the mythos behind that to be so incredible. And even sitting down, like to do a little bit of research on this, the artwork and the interpretation of this story is so incredible because it's lived on through generations. I mean, there's uh, San Francisco, I believe, or San Diego, I always get them backwards, blame the dyslexia, actually has the Phoenix in their flag. There are sports teams that have paid homage to the Phoenix symbolism. It's like incredible that something from that long ago has lived on through media for as long as it has. But with that, with that being said, I do want to transition over to you, Tiff, because you have a creature that kind of follows a similar pattern that you want to dive into with its history and media. Right. So mine would be, and this has always been something that has always drawn my attention, um, this creature, if it, there's a movie about it, if there's a story about it, if there's a book about it, I'm interested. And it's vampires. And a lot of it has to do with the history of how we perceive vampires. So going back to the first vampire that I can remember is Nosferatu. So the silent film, it was in 1922. It was a scary, it was even more scary because it was silent and because it was black and white. Um, So starting there, how scary they were, and then going on to in later years, the next one that I can remember would be The Lost Boys. And that was a movie in the 80s with Kiefer Sutherland. If there's any Lost Boys fans out there, I will watch it on repeat. I will watch it every time it's on TV. Anytime <laughs> I have the opportunity to watch The Lost Boys, I'm watching it. So I feel like at that point, and I could be wrong, there could be you know other movies that came before that where the the feeling that we have kind of shifted with vampires. <laughs> that kind of humanized them and almost romanticized vampires so then going into you know series like the twilight books and then going to the movies and then vampire diaries is a series that's on tv right now so what's always what's mostly fascinated me about vampires is why did we go from being so afraid of them where this was more like a halloween type thing this was a you know, scary stories around a campfire type of thing to where people have posters of Edward Cullen on their walls and <laughs> they're romanticizing that. And like, there's, you know, young girls in high school in the early two thousands that were like, Oh, I want a boyfriend and I want him to be just like Edward Cullen. Um, so at what point did we start to romanticize? Cause I can't imagine any other mythical creature that we did that with. For some reason, it was vampire. Well, I guess werewolves because of the Twilight movie. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's been pretty consistently vampires where we've been humanizing, humanizing them, romanticizing them. Like, what happened there? Why did the story shift? I, w- I want to reference one other thing that happened in pop, pop culture that I'm curious if it's on your radar. 
do you think that and I I'm speaking a little out of turn because I've never seen it, but the interview with the vampire film because that was wasn't that like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt who were like and Antonio Banderas and like it had like all of the male heartthrobs of that time period. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if that maybe helped lay the groundwork to transition also. Because I think it came out in the 90s. It was before Twilight. I know that. So I wonder yes. if like, maybe that kind of started. Even though they were still evil in that movie from what I remember, what I understand. Yes. That was, without, that was like mid-90s, I think it was. 95, I want to say 94 or 5. Like yeah. Yeah. Um. I agree with that. I agree with that was that was the like pivoting point on where that changed. It does beg the question though. I yeah. mean at the, end, at the end of the day, these are like blood sucking bastards. Right. How did they yeah. how did they become like heart throbs and like Right. And when did they stop to, well, I guess I'm trying to think, like, when did we get away from the bat thing? <laughs> yeah. Vampires were always bats and then they turned into blood-sucking vampires. No. I can tell you as a child, I was terrified of vampires. Like, I... Really? Oh, horrible nightmares about them. So, even though Nosferatu is my first memory, and that was very scary, my more core memory is the Lost Boys, and I was always like, man, I'm gonna be a vampire when I grow up. I'm gonna wear leather, and I'm gonna ride a motorcycle, and I'm moving to Santa Monica, California, (laughs) and I am just gonna live my best 80s movie life. <laughs> being a vampire with like the big hair, like eating Chinese food out of the box, very iconic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Eric. What was your first exposure to vampires? Oh, my first exposure to vampires would have to be in uh, playing Magic the Gathering. Oh, okay, because you know, there's it's been around since forever. Uh, I ran into a guy who had a vampire deck, and it was pretty terrifying to go against with my simple little elf deck that I paid $5 for. And uh, <laughs> that traumatized me pretty hard at Boy Scout camp. That was not fun. But... <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry for your struggle. Yeah. But, yeah, that was my first real introduction into uh, vampires and how amazingly powerful they can be uh, just in you know, that card format but uh, also uh, uh, another fun thing that I liked about vampires was uh, well actually I didn't like was in the Elder Scrolls series how you could just miraculously come down with vampirism and then you have to go on a side quest to cure it from some random NPC who you don't really trust and you can't go out into the sun, but you get really strong at night. Bunch of weird perks and disadvantages, and people don't talk to you because your eyes are all bloodshot like a stoner. So it's it's one of those fun things in a video game that you always got to watch out for. Don't get uh, stricken with vampirism. So uh, that's more of a life lesson, I think. Yeah. That yeah, I think that's something that everybody could you know benefit from. Don't get it. Don't catch it. Yeah. Stay away or from. Dark there's places. me that wanted to be one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't Santa Monica; it was Santa Santa Carla. Ah, yes, Santa Carla is where they lived in the Lost Boys. All right, I do have to ask before Gordon, before we find out your introduction to vampires, why the 
I want to know who on the production team or if it was like the the author that made them sparkle in the sunlight. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. And I remember just making like, I'm sorry, nobody is gonna take you seriously, bro. Like you're not if you're sparkling in the sun and glistening, it's gonna be a little hard to be intimidated. Well, that's I, why I, they took off school. Yeah. That's what. Like that's why so they, pretty. yeah. That's why they took off school whenever it was actually nice in Seattle, which was like never. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I lived there. Oh no, shit! I never connected those dots. That's weird. I've only ever seen the movie. I'm illiterate, so. <laughs> You're not illiterate. <laughs> um, I love the glittery the vampires. I. Oh god, I have some I have a funny story. Gordon, let's get to you and to how you were introduced to vampires before I get us canceled for telling um, much information. I'd like to first call all of your bluffs. I know for a fact you all got introduced to vampires by Sesame Street with Count Dracula and <gasps> Oh Damn Oh Gordon, oh, you you man. got you won that one. You're right. You won. Oh. There. How could we you forget the count? <laughs> the count. I still count like the count. Like if what? I have to count anything, I'll be like one. Touche. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> 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 Nicely done. Right. I was just hoping none of nice. you would point it out so I could come in and oh, I completely so forgot about the perfect. count. I, I know. I well, he was yeah. neither, neither threatening nor attractive, so he slipped under my radar. I don't know. Is that he when we started to humanize man, them? My guy. <laughs> he was neither threatening nor attractive. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, I. Uh, you're right. I can't believe I forgot about the. Uh, uh, I can't uh. believe it. So, aside from that, any noteworthy uh, vampire media that you consumed were. Not I'm assuming you're a team I, Edward. I, um, a lot of the comics I read currently, a lot of random books and other fiction novels I read will have notes of vampire in them, but I've never read, read, I've never read something for the sole purpose of reading about vampires, and I, I think truly that, I genuinely don't know the first time I actually like saw vampires in any kind of culture. I I would have to guess maybe supernatural. I can't really remember any other movie mm -hmm. I saw with vampires that I that's at least piqued my interest enough to remember them. And I can gotcha. proudly say I have not watched the entirety of a single Twilight movie. Uh, lucky. I I gotta go. Proudly. That was my They're jam garbage. back in high school. <laughs> There's even times now where I'll look at um, husband and be like, you know, I could really go for just like a couple days in the house and just watch Twilight all over again. <laughs> and get like re-angry at the end then because there's not another one. The weirdest part and this will be the I'll, I'll stop talking about vampires and the weirdest part was the last episode anybody that has watched twilight you don't have to be embarrassed to admit it we all did all god's children we <laughs> is so um oh my gosh why can't i remember bella's daughter and jacob what's that about that's that Dude, was a little weird for creepy. me that I, was really really weird if a grown the cgi man came child up to me. in general was weird 
but then the grown man with the child i i realize she ages like a dog it's like for every year it's it's seven but like mm -mm. i just remember him saying i just remember the line and i i could be wrong but like he was like yeah i imprinted on her yes. if a grown man comes up to me and says i imprinted on your daughter he's Police. gonna go, he's going to Jail. uh leave in a hot a body bag like i don't understand that and they Jail. tried they tried to play it off like it was nothing like it just yeah. made sense it was creepy it was a little it was, really it was very um you know banjos or something i don't know what it would be it yeah. Just, I like yeah i don't care for really that weird um, well, with that being said, I think that now is probably a good point for a break. I think we all need a little bit of a moment to recover from that. Um, <laughs> but we will be right back with two more fantastic mythological beasts. Internet privacy and internet security are two very hot button issues. Any active user of the internet understands that you are always taking a risk, whether it be your private Wi-Fi at home or a public Wi-Fi connection, you are always at risk for somebody potentially hacking and breaching your data. That's why we here at Speakeasley Productions and Let's Be Nerds have partnered with NordVPN. We believe the services that they offer are of tremendous value. We believe they have a customer-focused service regarding your internet security and your internet privacy and we support them a hundred percent if you click the link in the description box below you can see the services that we are able to offer to our listeners through nordvpn at somewhat of a discount in order to better secure your internet experience help us support the show and support nordvpn and the incredible work that they're doing by clicking that link down below and we're back. So, Gordon, I'm pretty sure you have another mythological bird that you would like to talk about. So I'm going to give the floor over to you. I do, Steve. I want to talk about the powerful griffin. It is as uh, strong as an ox or a horse. Um, it is seen in almost all mythologies around all over the world. It really has no bounds to where it belongs. I don't think we have an official mythology or culture to pin it to. I think everyone uses it so frequently as it just oozes a power of importance, I guess you could call it, and kind of like a demand to be acknowledged and seen as a powerful creature. In some mythologies, especially Greek, it shows up a lot. It shows up as the um, creatures that pulled Apollo's uh, chariot. Um, it showed up as Zeus's guard dogs, I guess you could call them. I don't know enough about Greek mythology in the sense of what they use. I guess you could call them the dogs of Greek mythology. They seem to be very popular in being the working animal of that mythology, which is an interesting one to choose. The griffin is commonly made up of the wings and talons of an eagle, 
and the body and hind legs of a lion. The head, I think, varies between mythology to mythology. And some, they use the head of the lion. And others, they use the head of the eagle. I know in something we can almost all relate to, Dungeons and Dragons, I believe it's commonly shown as a head of an eagle with the claws and wings of an eagle, and then the hind legs and body are that of a lion. Hmm. True. And in, I guess in our real world, we see the griffin primarily from three civilizations in ancient Egypt, ancient as I still don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled A S S Y R I A, as rare maybe. Mm. And yeah. the Mayoan civilizations. Um, mm. It is shown in a lot of their artwork over the pyramids, on their, I guess you could call temples in the Mayoan culture. It's most of them in the Mayoan culture are shown without wings. It is shown as just the head of a bird and the body of a lion, almost as like a spiritual guide of sorts. And I know that in modern times, I do believe that the British royalty use griffins on their emblem in some shape or form. I'm fairly certain that it shows up on the gates leading to uh, the... I don't know if it if it counts as the castle. I don't really pay attention to the, the Brits after um seventeen seventy four. The ancient Egypt and ancient Azrarian cultures, their uh, griffins are very similar. They're both winged beasts with the tails of a lion, the body of a lion, the hind legs of a lion, where the front legs are more talon-shaped like the eagles for what I can only assume would be, if it were a real creature, for better attacking as an eagle's claws are extremely sharp. Mm -hmm. I, I myself like um, the griffin because I see it come up in... A lot of my comics that I read, it shows up in almost all of my fiction books. I've seen it show up in some movies, I believe either Percy Jackson or The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And in some renditions, I don't have a source in front of me to know exactly which one. There are sometimes griffins with a tail of a snake, but I not quite sure if that is its own creature or not. I think in maybe some myth uh, mythologies it may be, but I feel in most it is still counted as the same. And it's just another hybrid or mutation that is seen throughout all the inaccuracies throughout these mythologies. I would agree with that. I think you're correct. That it's just a different version of the same beast. I, um, well, have you, where have you guys seen the Griffin, if at all, in any real life situations, I guess? I, I think the only time, Harry Potter, right? yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? I, I couldn't hear you guys. I believe Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh Harry yes. Potter. Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. You want to know the? Con- this wasn't the first time I heard of it, but it was a funny one. It was some kind of Family Guy episode where Peter is trying to, and I can't remember the context. He's trying to uh, not reveal his identity, and so he's looking around the room, and he looks down at the table, and somebody's like, you know, who are you? And he looks down, and he sees a P on a plate. He goes, P. He looks over, and someone's crying. He goes, tear. And then a griffin just shoots across the screen, and he goes, griff. And he's like, damn it. And to me, that is probably one of the funniest, most random is... references to a griffin I've ever heard. That is very funny. Okay, yeah, but it does seem like thing. it does seem like anytime the griffin is, uh, you you do see a griffin. It does symbolize power and just a regal grace. Yeah, that's why we see it aff- affiliated with a lot of royalty, I believe. It just has that aura of just being yeah as regal as a cat but yet still have the proud uh look and abilities of an eagle you the know, majesty of an eagle yeah, yeah. Really see, you know putting How both those together yeah and like steven said i believe that griffins at, uh were right alongside um um gargoyles and stuff like on in architecture yeah i think that they really like a lot of what i had mentioned was more pop culture related but things like gargoyles and griffins i think you can see that very prominently displayed throughout architecture right huh very interesting gordo is there a dungeons and dragons griffin that i should know about because i'm trying to get into it a little bit more there's probably honestly hundreds of different versions in the multitude of campaigns there are, but I p- we'll believe most of them are the heads of an eagle. Well, I guess you could really split it in half as the front half of an eagle and the back half of a lion, kind of like mm. squished together. I think is what most fantasy games like Dungeons and Dragons tend to lean towards. I think mostly hmm. just so that the characters can get that flying bonus speed, which is just slightly faster than walking. <laughs> <laughs> if your so definitely DM allows it. Exactly. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yes. Your DM might be a real jerk. Who knows? I have a feeling that that's not going to happen in my experience. Uh, but I think uh... it is. Honestly, you never know. <laughs> Well, Gordo, is there anything else that you would like to add in regards to the Griffin? No, I think that's all for me. I think that's a pretty fantastic beast. I'm ready to copyright claim because I keep saying that. I don't know. I Why hope so. Don't bring it up again. Find out. We need a good scandal, though. You know, <laughs> come after us. We'll get some of that debt money. Anyway, um, Eric, I cannot pronounce your beast, and I'm not going to attempt to, and I misspelled it three times, and I probably need to just google it so would you like to talk a little bit about your beast 
Yes. So, my beast I have picked from the Norse mythology. Uh, that is in the line of Thor, Loki, and uh, Odin, and all that fun jazz. The Asgardians. I picked, and I had to write this down phonetically, um, Jormungandr. And I probably still pronounce that wrong. Uh, he is known as the Midgard Serpent. Uh so his origin is he was the middle child of Loki, which in the actual North myth- Norse mythologies is uh, Odin's blood brother, not Thor's brother. So Loki is uh, Thor's uncle, and we're going to continue from there. So Loki and his mistress, Angerbova, had three children. The oldest is Fenrin, the wolf, that you see in Thor Ragnarok. The middle child is um, the Midgard Serpent. I'm not going to try and pronounce the name right now, again. <laughs> and then the third child was Hel, the daughter. And we know Hela from Thor Ragnarok. Those two got you know their big fame on the silver screen there. They were in a, a mainstream movie. But they did not put... Uh, the Midgard Serpent, and for whatever reason, I don't know why. Uh, I personally picked it just because I was a little bit into Norse mythology a little bit. I was like, yeah, you know what's awesome? Giant snakes in the water, because that's not terrifying. So, (laughs) how uh, he became the Midgard Serpent was uh, Odin had a vision of Ragnarok, and Loki's children were going to be a major, major part of Ragnarok, and we're not talking about uh, Loki's actual two sons that he had uh, with his real wife. But we're talking about these um, three children that were begotten of a giant that was a mistress of Loki. Um, so, uh, Thor and I, th- I believe Tyr and maybe two other of the Asgardians, they go and they seize these... The, they're just children at the time. They take Fenrin back to... Uh, back to their their land, and you know he grows up. He starts to become terrifying, and they trick him. That's a story for another day. Um, Jotungarden started to grow just on the trip back from Jotunheim. Uh, he grew so large that uh, Odin threw him into the Midgard Sea, the Midgard Ocean, and Midgard is actually uh, what we refer to as Earth. So that's one of the realms. And in there, uh, he was able to grow and consume whatever he wanted. He got so large that he was able to wrap the whole way around Midgard to reach his own tail. So that's why he's always... That's why a lot of the old maps depict a giant serpent in the seas. is because many mythologies have some sort of sea monster and reasons why ships go missing, but this is the Norse reason, the the, the Norse uh, reason why ships go missing, was because um, the Midgard Serpent claimed your ship. It ate you. You're done. Okay? In the Norse mythologies, there are a couple uh, appearances of the Midgard Serpent. One is, the first time, is whenever Thor and Loki, they go to uh, the land of the giants looking for an adventure and a quest, and they come across a a very large castle, 
And it's full of giants, obviously, because they're in the land of the giants. What else would be there? And they, the king wishes, you know, he wanted, he was going to give them hospitality, but they had to complete some tasks. They had to earn their hospitality. Uh, a couple of things, uh, one of them had to uh, out-eat one of the people, uh, one of the beings there, and another one was Thor had to uh, drink from the goblet of the, the king, uh, but the the main one that we pick up on on this is he had to pick up the the castle's cat the house cat and keep this in mind they're all giants so the cat was the size of thor and though thor tried as hard as he could he lifted and strained to pick up his cat it just kept bending and you know arching over top of him and the most he was able to get was his one paw off the ground and that just didn't seem like much because it just seemed like a cat to Thor. But the giants in the castle, they they were nervous because the king, the giant king, had actually used powerful magic to disguise the Midgard serpent as the cat. And it was the first time the Midgard serpent was ever raised from its bed on the bottom of the ocean. So that really freaked out all the giants. And, uh... That, oh, wow. that caused quite the hell of stir going on in that little place. And uh, whenever Thor finally found out that he was tricked after a few more tasks here, uh, he tried to strike at the, the King of the Giants. And uh, being tricky as they are, they disappeared beforehand. And it's also very old mythology, so things like a whole castle and people can disappear. Moving on to uh, the second time we run into him is... Uh, there's a quest for a cauldron to make a bunch of mead. I'm paraphrasing a lot here, because these poems and stories are actually rather long. But, um, Thor needed to get a cauldron from Tyr, the god of war. Uh, his father had a cauldron that's a mile deep, so they could all make mead. But, in order to do that, Thor had to go fishing with Tyr's father, and he's a giant. There's a lot of giants in the Norse world. So, he's a giant. They go out on a boat. They're out there, and Tyr's father catches two whales, and he's like, all right, this is going to be good you know, for a couple days here. We'll, we'll survive off of this. But Thor, being Thor, uh, wanting to outdo everybody, claiming he's the best fisherman ever, he puts a, uh, an ox head on a hook and a stout line, throws it out there, and catches the Midgard worm, and battles with the Midgard worm, pulls him up off of the bottom, and... They fight for a few minutes, and Tyr's father was so scared at the Midgard worm being surfaced that he cut the line, which obviously pissed Thor off greatly, that he decks him and knocks him out of the boat, and then Thor just somehow walks home, because it's Thor. Um, (laughs) uh, So then that really started the big blood rivalry between Thor and... uh, the Midgard Serpent, and this leads into the very last time Thor and the Midgard Serpent, they meet. They meet in Ragnarok, and Ragnarok, as uh, most of us know, is the um, the end of the gods, the end of the, the Norse gods, where they all battle against the armies of the undead led by Hela and Loki, or Hel and Loki, and uh, is eventually the end of all the gods. 
in Norse mythology. But um, <clears throat> Jormungarden, I'm still pronouncing it wrong, he actually triggers all of it to happen. He gets into a, a big rage and starts writhing around, causing earthquakes and lava flows and the seas to rise so that uh, Loki's army of the dead and Hell's army of the dead are able to set sail and lay siege on Asgard or um, the the gods. And whenever uh, the Midgard serpent actually arrives on the battlefield, he spews venom all over the place, and it's a burning acidy venom that you know starts claiming lives right off the bat. And then he stays back until he finds Thor. So Thor and the Midgard serpent go at it one on one. And unfortunately, a lot of the, the Norse texts don't really have any real embellishments with it. And I'm not a very good dungeon master to keep embellishing on this. But I would assume that this match, this fight between these two, was just absolutely amazing. The, a, a serpent that could re wrap the whole way around the world versus the god of thunder. Mm -hmm. uh, these two fighting to the end. And it eventually ends with... Um, the, the Midgard Serpent dying, but not before he was able to inflict enough wounds and, and put enough venom into Thor that he later dies. He doesn't make it more than nine steps away before he dies after the fight as well. So their, their rivalry, their feud for years and years ends in a stalemate. And honestly, that is, after I looked into this more, that is the perfect way for any Norse god to die is in a complete stalemate. You know, he might have killed the, the Midgard serpent, but, you know, he eventually got his in the end, you know, just by being poisoned and venom, like so much venom <laughs> through his system. And, uh, I mean, we knew it was going to happen because that was, that's what Ragnarok is. All the gods are going to die in Ragnarok. So... Yeah, I thought that was really neat, and that really endeared me to uh, the Midgard Serpent whenever I heard that he was able, the only one in all of Norse mythology, to kill Thor, the mighty Thor. I, I never knew that story. That's like, that's crazy. That's yeah, really, really neat. <laughs> Holy shit. Did anybody else know that that's like, that Thor actually met that fate? Not, like, am I the only one that knew that, or didn't know that? I didn't know that either. Damn. Loki, you're a good, like, not Loki, L-O-K-I, I mean, Loki. You're a good storyteller, Eric. I was, like, sitting here, like, <laughs> real, like, uh, like, on the edge of my chair a little bit. Oh, Holy shit. Thank you. You should see the scribbles I have written down on my notepad and how tightly I'm wringing my towel. But, yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I, you know, I tried to read up on all this all, all the Norse mythologies and stuff and their the Norse language is so I'm not used to it like um Jormungard Jormungard is spelled with a J with a O with the two dots above it I don't know why that makes a Y but apparently it does in that language so like all these yeah all these names I had to write down phonetically and, and <laughs> Just so I could look at them quickly and you know, try and pronounce them even halfway proper, but I know I didn't do it much justice. <laughs> no, I think you did damn good. Um, damn, 
Um, oh, thank you. So, are there others? Like, I mean, obviously there's others, but can you, if we revisit this topic, I want you, can you have another one of these stories prepared? <laughs> I don't, I hope that the people that listened enjoyed it. I think they will, but it's also mostly for my benefit because I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, sure. If we revisit this, I could do another one of Loki's kids. Um, I, I do believe Bobby and Carmen wanted to do hell. So Yeah. Well, maybe we can reconvene this topic, hopefully get them on, and maybe like you know have a little Norse mythology story time moments again. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just assume, we've been asking this question with everybody, was anybody else on... I'm not. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. Horman, got garden. I'm going to say garden. <laughs> you, Tiffany Gordon, <laughs> were you guys up on this one at all? Not at all. I wasn't. That's for sure. Damn. Woo! Came in on the left field. Here we go. <laughs> and knocked it the whole way out of the freaking park, Eric. All right. All right. I see you. Okay. Well. um... I, I, there's no way. Maybe it won't be next week, but at some point in the future, we have to revisit this. And now, this is now segueing my brain into like a Norse mythology episode, like we when we did the Greek mythology back in the day, back in the day, like a couple months ago. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that this might have just opened some doors. All right. Huh. All right. Well, does anybody else have anything that they want to add before we wrap this up? No. Well, I want to thank all three of you for being here. This was a wonderful episode. I think we uh, definitely lit a little bit of a match on this subject matter, and I'm curious to see where the future takes us on it. Um, I want to thank all of you at home for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, you can find where to follow Tiffany in our description box below. I recommend definitely checking out her Instagram and her TikTok. Uh, very creative videos, very creative content coming out of that channel. And with that being said, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank everybody along with us on this journey. Please comment in the Spotify question box. Uh, there's going to be a question regarding mythological beasts that you find interesting. So we love to hear back from you. Uh, if you want to support the show, a great way to do so is a five-star review and a write-up in whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify. We definitely appreciate it. And with all of that, I will see you all in the next episode of Let's Be Nerds. Our last two sponsors of the day are Audible and CodeMonkey. Audible is a wonderful application in which you are able to combine your love of audiobooks and your love of podcasts all in one streamlined place. I have been using Audible for about two months now and I have to say the experience has been tremendous. I have found that being somebody that's constantly on the go having one generalized place to find all of my entertainment, whether I'm traveling in the car or listening at work, it has really made my life a little bit easier because 
I can find everything I'm looking for in one spot and I'm never missing out. I'm staying on top of current things, current events with my podcasts, and I'm making progress on the books that I want to read. We here at Speakeasley Productions and Let's Be Nerds are proud to offer you a 30-day trial with a free credit. All you have to do is click the link in the description box below and you can sign up now and try it for yourself. Let us know what you think because we're pretty proud of this program. CodeMonkey is a very important application. We all know that children are the future and CodeMonkey is taking that very seriously. With programs for both parents and teachers, this is a fun, interactive way for children to learn coding while gaming. Yes, you heard that right, coding. Teach them young and help them prepare for their future careers in this ever-changing technology environment. CodeMonkey is first in its class in its fun and educational software. We would love for you to give it a try. The link for the description The link for it will be in the description box below, and please let us know what you think. I am extremely proud to work with them because I believe that they have a very similar vision that I I and my co-host share. Children are the future, and we need to educate them and get them better prepared for the job market ahead. With that being said, thank you Audible and thank you CodeMonkey for making this podcast possible. Let's Be Nerds is hosted and executive produced by Gordon Bryant and me, Stephen J. McLean. Let's Be Nerds is a production of Speakeasley Productions. Our social media manager is Kylie Gregg. Our managing producer and co-host is Lizette Ayala. Today's guest host was Robert Van Jacobs. You can follow him on all social media platforms at Bobby Dub Music. To keep up with the latest on Let's Be Nerds, join our Discord server linked in the description box below. Follow us on Instagram at Let's Be Nerds Pod or find us on Twitter at Let's the Letter B Nerds. Mm-hmm.